Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. We've been studying the... um churches of the New Testament to see what we can learn from them. If we are striving to be the the first century church in the 21st century, then we need to be able to look back and see in our spiritual DNA what the early church was doing and strive to do that as well. You know, if we if we do what they did, we'll be what they were. If we believe what they did, we'll we'll be what they were. So that's what we're striving to accomplish in these series of lessons. And we started off looking at the church in Jerusalem. We've talked about the churches um, we talked about the churches of Asia, we talked about the church in, in uh, Antioch, and also the churches um, in Philippi. And last week we talked about the church in Thessalonica, and we recalled that the church in Thessalonica was born out of adversity, that, that Paul and Silas, when they came there, they, they initially had great response from particularly the Jews in the city, but when the Jews saw that the Gentiles were also excited about the gospel, they kind of got stirred up in jealousy, and they began to persecute the uh, those men who were preaching the gospel, and in looking at in looking at that church last week, we saw the importance of of striving to be what God wants us to be, right? In in um, recognition of practicing the the three virtues of working faith, of a labor of love, and in patience of hope. But there's something else in, in the letters that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. I think it's important for us to, to wrestle with and to, to know God's word, God's truth on the matter, so that we're not confused. We had a really good conversation this morning uh, with the boys. Jacob had, had his friends over here, and one of them not here this morning. But um, we were talking about end times. And you think about what, what's out on the horizon, what's coming up for, for this world, but also what, what's being taught. And what's being projected out as far as what, what, let's ask questions like this. Have you ever wrestled with these questions? What happens when I die? And where do I go when I don't live here anymore? Where do I continue to exist if I do continue to exist? If I do live on, where will I be? And where do I go when I don't live here anymore? When I'm not, when I'm not on this earth, where will I be? And what will what will Jesus' second coming look like? What will it be like? How will it affect me? And when all this happens, when, when is it going to happen? And what should I be looking for? You know, we, we hear a lot of this conversation, particularly related to, to things that we should be looking for, the signs of the coming of Jesus. And we might be kind of concerned about it. We might be scared about it. You talk to people that are, that are concerned about things they see, and ask the question, well, is this the, the signs of the coming of Jesus? You know, this is not new. <clears throat> As Jacob read for us this morning, the Thessalonians wrestled with this. Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. This is not new for us to wrestle with these questions because early Christians were wrestling with them. And so we want to ask the question, should we be afraid of death? Should we be afraid of Jesus' second coming? And is there a possibility of missing it? 
can we can we miss it all together? Because that's something the Thessalonians were wrestling with as well. So let's dive into these questions and see what we can find from the scriptures that help answer them. What happens when we fall asleep, as Paul said in in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen? What happens when we die? You ever thought about that? About where we go to and 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 where we will reside until Christ comes. You know, there there are people who believe that when we die, we just cease to exist. Um, and this is not new either. I mean, if you talk with with people, um, it's not uncommon for people to believe that when that our our being is a material being, and when our when our body can't sustain itself anymore, and and it can't maintain the physical uh, processes of life, and we stop living, then we just cease to exist. And there are people who believe that we have a spiritual aspect to us, that we're not just a a, a physical me- a mechanism but that we have a spiritual aspect to us, but that when we die, we, that spirit ceases to exist. Again, this is not new. You can go back into the scriptures and you can see a whole class of people that believe this. The Sadducees that we read about in the scriptures who were one of the leading sects of the Jews during the days of Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 says, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe that there was a life after death and that, that the soul would be raised up again. And so this is not new. But what, does, what, what did Jesus teach on this? And it's important for us to see what Jesus taught. So I want hold to your, hold your, put, put your marker in Thessalonians. Let's turn back over to Luke chapter 16. And I want you just to remind yourself of a story that Jesus tells here about two men that died. Now some people will look at this and say, well, that's just, that's just a parable. I want you to notice first off that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't start this off that the kingdom of heaven is like, right? He's talking about a story about two people, and, he, and one of them has a, has a name. And the second thing we understand about parables are, parables are spiritual truths that lie alongside a physical truth, right? A sower goes out to sow. Anybody ever seen a sower sow? Yeah, we know what that looks like, right? Anybody ever seen a fisherman go fish? Yeah, we know what fishing looks like. Anybody ever been to Hades before? Kind of hard to have a spiritual parallel about something we never experienced, right? And so what Jesus is telling here, he's giving a picture of what happens when we die. And you know the story, so we're going to kind of paraphrase it for the sake of time. But Jesus sets this up as there's a rich man, right? And he fares sumptuously. He lives well. He eats good. He dresses good. He lives good. And there was a man named Lazarus who laid at his gate. He was poor, he was beggarly, he, he had sores that dogs would come and lick. I don't, I don't quite, it's hard to wrap our minds around how destitute this man was. And all he wanted was to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Jesus sets this scenario up with these two men. And the only thing similar between them is they're alive and they die. In death, you remember how the story goes. Let's, let's read this part. Um, verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Don't you love that picture? You, you think about the picture of the death of God's righteous, that angels are involved in that. And that they come and they, they carry, right? We don't even have to get the impression that we have to walk, right? We're just transported by angels into a place that Jesus refers to as the bosom of Abraham. We'll come back to that in just a second. 
And then he says, and the rich man died and was buried. Right? And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in bosom. And I'm going to pause for the sake of time. I don't want to stop right there. What we see in this picture is we see a, a snapshot into the Hadean realm. When I say that, I'm talking about a realm of the unseen. That's what the Greek word Hades means. The land or the realm of the unseen. Because we can't see them with our physical eyes. And in the story that Jesus lays out, we see this realm is divided into two portions. You've got a place of rest that Jesus refers to as Abraham's bosom. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But then you also see a place of torment, a place described with fire, a place that's described in a way that, that this man, this rich man who went to this place, all he wanted was for Lazarus to dip his finger in water and come and touch it to his tongue because I am tormented in these flames. It's a place where the righteous are put to rest, are resting, right? It's a place where the unrighteous are being tormented. But there's something else there that we can't miss. You remember Abraham said there's a great gulf fixed between the two. And they can't pass from one side to the other. So when we look at this, what we see is a, is a picture of really the first judgment of God, right? When we die, there's a, there's a judgment that takes place. There's a judgment of righteousness or unrighteousness. And that's, and that's fixed. And there's a gulf in between that can't pass from one side to the other. Peter, over in 2 Peter <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 4, he refers to this place of torment. He calls it Tartarus, the place of, of torment. And so we see in the story of Jesus a picture of where the soul goes after it's departed from the body. When the, body has, when the soul has no more use for the body, it's going to go to Hades. But this is not just Jesus teaching about it. If, if that's all Jesus said about the matter, that would be enough, right? That would, be, that would substantiate it for us. But I want you to notice, even in the story of Jesus, this, this fact is substantiated. Yes, people, where did Jesus go when he died? And one of most people's answer is, well, he went to heaven. But I want you to notice what, what the scriptures say about Jesus and what he says about himself in this, in this aspect. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Where did Jesus promise... The, the, the thief that he would be with him. He says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, right? And Jesus says, most assuredly, Lord, he says, surely, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, most people think about that as being heaven, right? Because that's, and, and there are places in the scripture that refer to the, the throne room of heaven as being paradise. But I want you to notice in particular where Jesus is referring to paradise, <clears throat> John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus, after his ascension, he is a, he's approached by Mary, Mary Magdalene. And, and at first she doesn't recognize him. And, and in Jesus stating her name, he says Mary to her, and her eyes are opened, right? And she, remember, she sees Jesus now for who he is. And she rushes to him, and she wants to wrap her arms around him. And notice what Jesus says here. He says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet, what? Ascended to the Father. Where did Jesus go when he died if he went to paradise, but he didn't go to heaven? And that question is answered for us over in Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn with me, this is a longer reading. <clears throat> but I'll, I'll, I'll show you the answer to the question in Acts chapter 2. And there are other passages that will that, that substantiate this. 
But Peter, in, in preaching the first gospel message, he speaks about Jesus as being a man attested to, to, the, to the crowd by signs and wonders. <clears throat> he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by signs and wonders. You have taken by lawless hands and you have nailed to a cross. But God did not allow him to remain in the cross. The, the, the cross could, the, excuse me, remain in the grave. Verse 24 whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then he goes back to David, and he pulls out this quotation from the psalmist David. He says, For David says concerning him, I saw, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoices, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul in heaven. Nobody says it there? You will not leave my soul in heaven. Hades, where did Jesus go when he died? You know where he went? He went where I'm going to go. And he went where you're going to go. And anybody who, who, who ceases to live on this earth, that's where we go when we die. Why is that important? <clears throat> we'll answer that question in just a minute. But I want you to think, of why is it important that Jesus went to Hades like you and I go to? He says, nor you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Skip on down. <clears throat> Verse 31, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, here's the point, this Jesus God has raised up, which we are all witnesses. <clears throat> What's the purpose of Jesus' resurrection? To give us hope, right? Jesus went into Hades, and he came back out to give us hope. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Jesus here is speaking about the resurrection scene. He gives a picture of what we all will experience. He says in John chapter 5, verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So what we're seeing here is Jesus painting a picture of the resurrection scene. And it's not just the, the evil that are going to be raised up out of the grave. It's the good that are going to come up out of the grave too. Where have they been? They've been in Hades. Jesus calls that place paradise. He calls that place Abraham, Abraham's bosom. But we also know there's a place in Hades. It's called the Taurus. A place of torment. A place of fire. A place of, of utter um, overwhelming persecution. And so we see then, the next question might be, well, if I'm going to Hades, should I be afraid? After what we've learned so far, how would you answer that question? From our general perception of what Hades is, we, should, we would think, yeah, we should be afraid. But let me ask you this. If Jesus called it paradise, are you afraid to go to paradise? Anybody afraid to here to go to Abraham's bosom, to a place of rest? The only reason that we should have any fear of going to Hades is if we think we're going to torment, right? That's the only, that's the only reason that a, that a person should have any fear, really, of death. Now, is it unpleasant? It could be, right? Death, death in itself is scary because we've never been there before. And the means in which we might die could be scary. Well, I'm, I'll just tell you, be blunt with you. I'm not looking forward to dying. But I can tell you I'm looking forward to dying. Does that make sense? 
because we think about where what the what the results of it are. Think about these words like this. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. That means it is so. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Would you feel more comfortable going to Hades if you knew who held the keys? Would you feel better about it if you knew that Jesus had overcome death and that his resurrection then is a forerunner or a precursor to what we're going to experience when we rise from the dead? What about words like this? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have nothing to be afraid of. If we're walking in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is cleansing us from all sin, we have nothing to be afraid of when it comes to the grave. We have nothing to be afraid of when it comes to Hades. We have no reason to not think like Paul did. Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's a great blessing that comes from it. So think about the perception that, that mankind has of death, though, right? You ask somebody, how are you doing? What do they say? I'm on the right side of the grass. All right? Better than the alternative. I, I know sometimes we may say that ourselves, right? We may not think about the consequences of those words, but you think about what that really, what that really projects is, I'd rather not die. And Paul says to live as Christ and to die is gain. So it's about changing our paradigm about death. Now again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to emphasize this. Death is not something that we may not be afraid of, the process, right? Because we've never been through it before. But the results of it are blessings for the Christian. What about, um, so we've got down there some points. Will we continue to live on and be ourselves after we die? Yes. You know how we know that? Because Abraham was identified as Abraham. And Lazarus was identified as Lazarus. And the rich man was identified as the rich man. And Jesus went to Hades and he came back and he was still Jesus. And so we're going to continue to be who we are. We're going to have identity even after we die. And depending on our life here, we may, we may be bound for torment. That's something I want us to try to correct here before we get to the end of this lesson. But what happens next? Do we stay in Hades forever? And, of course, when we think about the Scriptures in relation to this, we know that's not the fact. Jacob read for us from from 1 Thessalonians. I want you to turn back over there and the time we've got left. I'm doing I know today's Father's Day and I know people have places to go and people see so I'm trying really hard to get us out of here on time. I hate Russian lessons but this is a Russian lesson. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What were they sorrowful about? They were afraid that people were dying and were going to be left behind. It could have been that they thought that, that people, when they died, they, that they were, they're like all over, they're just dead all over, right? They, don't, they cease to exist. It could be that they thought that when people died, they were just going to get left in Hades, and the only people that were going to be taken to heaven were the people who were alive. Paul says, I want to dissuade you of both of those ideas. 
Because both of those produce no hope. And we are people who live in hope. We even die in hope. And so he says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. When Jesus died and he rose again, that's evidence that Jesus will bring those who are dead with him at his second coming. If he could be raised up, they could be raised up too. That's the point. Now, here's the picture, though. Here's what, here's what this is going to look like. You ever wondered what the coming of Jesus is going to look like? The Scripture tells us. He says, for this, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is the Lord speaking through Paul, right? This is not Paul conjecturing about what the end is going to be like. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are falling asleep. We're not going to go ahead of them, right? We're, we're not even going to... We're, they're not going to be forgotten, and we're not even going to precede them. We're not going to go without them ahead of time. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, notice, with the shout of the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And so there's going to be a signal, right? I've never heard the trumpet of God blast before, but I can guarantee you I will know what it is when it happens. You will know what it is when the angel shouts. There's nobody who is alive on the face of the earth, and there's nobody who is dead who will not recognize that when it happens. You ever experienced something that you, you ever experienced something that you knew what it was, even though you'd never experienced it before? That's what's going to happen. The voice of the archangel, the blast of the trumpet, and notice what's going to happen. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then. Then, with them, right? Then we who are alive will, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he punctuates it. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you get the point of the lesson? We should be comforted by these words. Those who are in the grave are not going to be left behind. We who are alive are not going to be left behind. We're all going to be brought together. There's going to be a great general resurrection. You remember what Jesus said uh, in John chapter 5, verse 28, and we'll get to that in just a minute, right? He talked about the, all who are in the grave are going to hear his voice and be raised up. And we, for the sake of time, we're going to bypass this, but I would encourage you to go back over and read Matthew chapter 25 because you get there then a picture of what this resurrection scene looks like as well. When the Son of Man comes in His glory with His angels and He's seated upon the throne of His glory, then He's going to gather all the nations together before Him as a, as a shepherd gathers His sheep, right? And He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. There's a great picture there of the resurrection scene. But I want you to notice, nobody's left behind. Nobody's left in the grave. Again, just to remind ourselves, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory and all the nations will be gathered for Him and He will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. We saw this one earlier, John chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. You notice what else, you notice what else that teaches? There's one resurrection. It's going to happen in one hour. Now, again, don't... Don't get constrained by the idea of time here. But it's going to happen at one specific time that there's going to be a general resurrection of all. There's not going to be 
in, in some doctrines today, there's as many as seven different re- resurrections, right? The whole idea of the rapture and the left behind series is based on multiple resurrections. Jesus said it's going to happen in one hour. It's going to happen in one span of time. That there's going to be a general resurrection of all who are in the grave. They're all going to come forth. Some are going to come forth to righteousness for, to life. And some are going to come forth to resurrection and condemnation. But then, Revelation chapter 20 again paints that picture. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. And I saw the dead. And I've got some punctuation points in there to kind of bridge over some things that are not, not cogent to our conversation today. But it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according to his works. And this is the real interesting part. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. And this is second death. There will be a time when their purpose will be done away with. Isn't it wonderful to think there will be a time when death doesn't have a purpose anymore? That Hades doesn't have a reason to exist. That's time when we're going to be taken to heaven to be with God. And there's no place for us to abide separate from the home of God. There's no reason why we would be separated from him. So real quickly in the time I got left. What about Jesus? What about um, when will all this happen? This was really the puncture. This was really kind of the point of our conversation today. Because there's a between us and the boys, because there's a lot of ideas out there about when Jesus is going to come back. And again, this is not new. I think it's funny that there's a Wikipedia page about the second coming of Jesus. And I'm not putting Wikipedia out there as being the 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 sole source of truthful information. But one thing that they typically do well is they collect information together. And there's a list of Oh, almost 50 different predictions of when Jesus would come. The earliest on there is 500 A.D., and it was made by Irenaeus and a couple of the other church fathers, the early church uh, leaders, and they predicted, based on the, the dimensions of the ark, that Jesus would come back in 500 A.D. I haven't quite figured that one out yet, but they were wrong. Um, there's other religious groups who have made predictions of when Jesus would come, and they've, they've been proven wrong as well. And some people even look to look to Scripture to try to find signs of His coming. You're you're probably all familiar with with Matthew chapter 24, and people will look at that and they'll say, "Well, those, those Jesus specifically gave signs." I want to just I want to read for you the beginning of that chapter just to remind ourselves of what Jesus is talking about. Verse 20, chapter 24, beginning verse one. Then Jesus went out. And departed from the temple, and his disciples came up and fall, uh, came up and show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, "Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down." That's critical to the chapter. Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. They go up to Mount of Olives. Disciples came to him privately and say, "Tell us when these things. Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming?" And what will be the end of the age? They essentially ask three questions. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? When will you come back? And what will be the, the end of the age? And they see those as being three separate things. And Jesus essentially is going to say, well, the last two are the same. When I come back, that's going to be the end of the age. But the first one he answers, the first question he answers is related to the destruction of Jerusalem. Something that happened in AD 70. 
And he said, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And I want you to notice here, whenever you talk with people about signs, why do they typically bring up wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines? And in the context of this, Jesus says, when you see these things going on, don't be afraid. Don't let that concern you. Even in review of the destruction of Jerusalem. But now let's jump forward. Jump forward over to chapter, into verse 36. He says, but of that day and hour, now he's transitioning into the second question. Right? What's going to be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He says, but of that day and hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he goes on to, to show evidence of the fact that we won't know when Jesus is going to come back because people are going to continue to marry and to be given in marriage. People are going to go on with life. Life is going to continue on. And Jesus is going to come. And you can finish it. Jesus is going to come as a what? Thief in the night. And here's the point. Verse 44. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If Jesus tells me that he's going to come at an hour that I do not expect... What makes me think I can predict when he's going to come back? Go on down, chapter 25. If you don't believe those words, keep on going in chapter 25. And you can see um, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so this is, a, this is going to be a scene that's going to sneak up on the smartest of us. But it's not going to be a scene that is going to surprise the Christian. Because we're going to be ready. Because we're watching and we're waiting. There's a story of a of a of a um, I don't know what the, a, a place over in Italy. I, and I can't think of the term I'm trying to think of, but it was a it was a great uh, spread, basically a great mansion on property that was maintained uh, by a, a, a head groundskeeper. And the person who owned the property, and I'm sorry this is going to go long, but I think it's, I think it's important to a There's a The man who owned the property was gone. He was off traveling. And uh, a reporter came by just to kind of do a story on the property, and he's, he's interviewing the head landscaper. And the guy's out there working, and he doesn't even hardly stop to do the interview. He's, just, he's continuing to, to, to prune plants and to water and to do all the stuff. And, and the man says, why, why, do you, why do you keep this property up the way you do. And he says, well, I'm, I'm waiting for my master to come back. And he says, well, when has he told you that he's come back? He said, it could be today. Think about the way that man, the perspective that he had on that property, the master could come back today. Do we live our lives that way? Are we living in a way prepared for Jesus to come back today? And then finally, the Thessalonians were concerned that they miss it. And over in 2 Thessalonians, Paul answers that question. He says, I want, you to be, I want you to be aware that there's things that are going to happen, but you're not going to miss the return of Jesus. Nobody's going to miss the shout of the archangel. Nobody's going to miss the blast of the trumpet of God. 
Nobody's going to be able to sleep through those things. Nobody's going to be off doing something else and forget to go to the judgment. We have a great blessing by having the words of the Lord. But in particular, the words of the Lord looking forward to the end of our life and the end of the time. What a great blessing it is to know that God's prepared a place for us, not just in heaven, but he's, per he's prepared a place for us that we can have rest when our time on this earth comes to an end. That we don't have to continue to toil in the grave. That we can be comforted by men such as Abraham and Lazarus and all those other wonderful children of God who've gone on before us. That they're there resting, looking forward to the coming of the Savior. And if we happen to be alive when he comes, that we're not going to be forgotten, that we're going to go along with them, and we're all going to be taken up. There may be questions, there may be details about death, there may be details about the resurrection, there may be details of the second coming of Jesus that we, that we haven't answered today, but we can know three things. We can know that we live on past death. We can know that we'll be raised at Jesus' second coming, and we can know that we must watch and be ready for him. Book of Revelation ends with these words, Even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the attitude we have looking forward to the coming of our Lord. Are you ready to meet Jesus in the second coming? In writing to the Thessalonians, Paul reminded them of a great spiritual truth. He said Jesus is going to come again. But for some, it's going to be in flaming fire. He says he's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in one of those two boats? Hopefully today you know God. You know that he is the, the author and creator of the world, but in particular of your salvation. That he sent his son to die on the cross because he loved you when you were his enemy. That your sins, that as we talked about in class, that itchy feeling of knowing right and wrong and not always doing it is what separates us from God. That he created a way, he, he established a way in which we can be reconciled in, that we can have that itchy feeling done away with so that it's not held against us in the judgment, that we can be justified. And we do that through obedience to the gospel. Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ today? We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to take, take advantage of the opportunity because we've also seen today there is a place of torment that awaits those people who are not obedient to the gospel and not know God and not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no reason... Start saying there's no earthly reason. There's no heavenly reason why anybody should go to hell. There's no reason for it. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.